the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here in Education Nation. I am Headmaster and host Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And, of course, I am joined in studio once again by the producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. And a happy summer season to you, Rebecca. Yes, It's yes, going fast, isn't it? It is. It is. But, you know, we, our Minnesota summers, you just can't beat them. Nope, you can't. <laughs> Even if you have to read outside, pull out the chair, soak in the vitamin Anything, D. Absolutely. absolutely. It has been beautiful. Yes, it sure has. Well, I'm excited about the topic of our show today, Mark. Um, For more than 150 years, the Blaine Amendments, which now exist in 37 constitutions, state constitutions, I should say, have prohibited the use of government funding to benefit religious schools and other organizations. And in June, a U.S. Supreme Court ruling in favor of three plaintiffs in the state of Montana may reverse the bias against religious persons seeking scholarship money for enrollment at the school of their choice. Yeah, and specifically, the Supreme Court ruled that Montana had violated the plaintiff's right under the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And this ruling reiterates the Constitution's protections for religious families against unequal treatment and against laws that impose special disabilities on the basis of religious status. Mm-hmm. Well, joining us in the studio to discuss the landmark SCOTUS ruling in Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue is attorney Anthony Sanders. And Mr. Sanders is a senior attorney and the current director of the Center for Judicial Engagement. And he engages the public about the proper role of judges in enforcing constitutional limits on the size and scope of government. And as a senior attorney, Anthony, he litigates cutting-edge constitutional cases protecting economic liberty, private property, freedom of speech, and other individual liberties in both federal and state courts across the country. That's right. Uh, Very qualified attorney. (laughs) Um, One area of Anthony's expertise is on using state constitutions to protect individual rights. He's litigated several cases in various state courts on state constitutional protections. He has also written several law review articles on state constitutional law. Back in January, Anthony had the privilege of being present at the U.S. Supreme Court for oral arguments in the Espinoza case, and he's here to discuss how the case ruling will help overturn more than 150 years of legalized bigotry against religious liberties. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us here again on Education Nation. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. It's wonderful be, to be back. Yes. All right. Wonderful. Well, Anthony, we we had you on the program back in February to discuss the specifics surrounding this case. And we invite our listeners to actually go back and revisit episodes number 193 and 194 
on our podcast, ednationmn.org. In an effort to set the context of this ruling, um, can you take a few moments to highlight the circumstances that brought about this case and why it ultimately made it its way back to the U.S. Supreme Court? You bet. And uh, I will try to keep this, uh, this a complicated case in some mm-hmm. ways, but I'll try to keep it brief for your listeners. And, and if they want all the details, of course, they can, they can go back to those episodes. Yeah. So this was a lawsuit brought by my organization, the Institute for Justice, mm-hmm. um, by a few of my colleagues who challenged a um, it, it actually began as a challenge to and um, a, a kind of a bureaucratic administrative barrier. It was a, a, a technically a rule that was issued by the State Department of Revenue, a barrier to a school choice program that had been enacted by the state legislature. So the state of Montana, its legislature, um, enacted a school choice program, it was a relatively modest program, that allowed people, uh, both individuals and, and um, entities, to give a contribution to a private scholarship organization and get a tax mm-hmm. credit for that. Mm-hmm. And then the organization, in turn, would use the funds as a, a scholarship that a parent could take and then use that, in turn, at a private school of their choice, both religious and non-religious, for their children. So Mm -hmm. it was a school choice program in that the money does not go directly to the school. The money goes to a parent who then has Mm -hmm. the choice as to where they educate um, their child. Right. And actually, can I... I was just going to add really quickly here, just insert, sorry, please, I want you to continue, but this is the exact same type of program that has been tried here um, in Minnesota. I think three different times um, it's been brought before the legislature, and it has all three times um, not made it into final law on the, dev- on the governor's desk, yes, but it's the same, that, same plan. That's exactly right, and mm-hmm. it's, it's been enacted in, in Montana and, and a few other states. Um, it's it's a slightly different than the program where uh, that you usually hear about a voucher program where the money goes directly from the state treasury to a parent mm-hmm. who then chooses the school of their, their choice. But the idea and the two types of programs is the same. It mm-hmm. is not government directly funding um, churches or, or religious schools or non-religious schools. It is mm-hmm. the government giving parents additional options on where they want to send their children. Right, right. So okay. this was uh, the program in Montana. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the... Department of Revenue in Montana said, you know, we don't think this program uh, is constitutional under the state constitution. And that's this thing called a Blaine Amendment mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. talked about in the earlier programs right. uh, because the money goes to religious schools. So they say if you if you enacted a program that only went to non-religious secular private schools, that would be OK. Mm-hmm. But because it can go to a religious school. Um, <clears throat> we can't allow that, mm-hmm. and so we're gonna we're we're just gonna uh, enact have the program be able to go to non-religious schools. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. our argument was that that actually doesn't that's a misreading of mm-hmm. the state constitution. You might read it to say that actually it doesn't mean that, but in any case, they, if it does mean that, it violates the First Amendment's free exercise clause. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
the rule actually was found um, to uh, to be invalid under uh, state law and that the, the, the Blaine Amendment didn't. Um, uh, so our first argument didn't mm-hmm. mean that the um, program was unconstitutional by the trial court. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that went to the Montana Supreme Court and the Montana Supreme Court took the more expansive reading of the um, of the state constitution that, yeah, the, the legislature could uh, uh, provide funds just to private secular schools, but because it provided them to religious schools, that it would be unconstitutional. And then for kind of technical reasons, mm-hmm. state uh, te- technical reasons of administrative law said that the rule was invalid. Mm-hmm. So that meant that we had a ruling from a state Supreme Court saying that a program couldn't uh, include religious schools because of one of these Blaine amendments. Mm-hmm. So that teed up the issue for us to appeal to the United States Supreme Court to address this free exercise question. Right. I should add the Montana Supreme Court also, it was very short analysis, but also said that the, it was okay under the free exercise clause. Hmm. Right. Interesting. The, the, the Montana Supreme Court said that? Yes, in about two sentences. Oh, okay. <laughs> it didn't say that, and it was that ruling, actually, that was what was appealed right. uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, right, right. Right. And of course, all of this, you know, the complaint that comes against it, obviously, is just, you know, the amount of money that's changing hands. Just to provide a little more context, Anthony, was there a certain amount that individuals and businesses could contribute towards this uh, private scholarship organization? Was there a cap set on that? The actual tax credit was uh, up to $150. Just $150, Uh, yeah. And then the scholarships that went to the the parents was considerably more than that. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was the amount. And it was capped, I think, at like $3 million overall Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. could could be used in a year. And then there there was was different years that different amounts would apply. And it it went for – it was appropriate – uh, or I say enacted for a few years, mm-hmm. but that's that's we're talking that the modest amount of the pro, uh, the, the program is a sure. hundred and fifty dollars. That instead of sending your check to the state treasury, you send it to the scholarship organization. Mm-hmm. Sure, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And this this process of um, paving the way here uh, has been going on for quite a while. There were two other U.S. Supreme Court cases uh, that helped uh, in handing this ruling uh, down from the Espinoza case. Uh, let's. Just recap a little bit and share with our listeners the specific rulings that came from the 2002 Zellman versus Simmons-Harris case. And also, just most recently in 2017, there was the Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia Incorporated versus Comer case. Why were these decisions from these two cases instrumental, instrumental rather, in the Espinoza case? Yeah, so let's, let's go through both of those cases. Yeah. Uh, the 2002 case you mentioned, the Zellman case, which was a case that um, the Institute for Justice also helped litigate, was about the constitutionality of the Cleveland voucher program in, in Ohio. Now, that was uh, a voucher program, so funds going to, uh, from, from the government to parents who could then use them at the school of their choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, that point, it hadn't been established whether that was okay under the establishment cause, also mm. in, in the First Amendment, which pro- pro- prohibits, um, as interpreted against the states, the, the states from entangling themselves with, uh, with religion. Mm-hmm. The court ruled there that, no, the, the parents have a choice as to where to send their children, whether to a religious school or of different religions or to a secular school. And so there, there is not an establishment clause 
problem with that program. Mm -hmm. So that didn't mean, of course, that any state had to have instead. And this is still not the not the law. and will never be the law that a state has to have a um, school choice program. It's just Mm -hmm. if a state wants to have this kind of school choice program where the parents make the decision, it can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fast forward to 2017, this Trinity Lutheran case, uh, this was a case uh, about uh, reci- using recycled tires for playground equipment. Pretty, mm-hmm. uh, pretty innocuous <laughs> right. uh, type of issue. Right, right, right. Um, and not, not exactly a culture war issue. Right. And it was uh, the state of Missouri had a rule under its Blaine Amendment, um, in interpreting its Blaine Amendment, that uh, they couldn't uh, use these this recycled tire uh, tires that they would donate to uh, you know people with um, organizations with with playgrounds. They couldn't do it uh, for a church. I think it was a church preschool. That right, was it was a church right. preschool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the court ruled that that is unconstitutional under the free exercise clause because you're excluding religious groups simply because they're religious. And there was a footnote in that case that only some of the justices joined. Some did not. This often happens when they're saying, oh, I'm going to join your opinion except for footnote eight. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that one. I think this case, it was actually footnote three. Uh, but they, uh, under this footnote, there was a disagreement other, under whether this was true for just any kind of religious organization. It would be unconstitutional to exclude them. Um, but the the... The footnote said that you can do this for um, religious status, uh, or you can't do it, I should say, just based on religious status. But it could be different if if you're excluding based on religious use. They hmm. didn't define what you religious status, religious use meant, and they just left it. They didn't even say it would be it would be okay for religious use. They just kind of left it at that. Hmm. Sure. So hmm. in this case, then. Uh, came to the one of the questions, and we can turn to that in a minute, mm-hmm. was whether this is religious status or religious use or, or whether that matters. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. I was not aware of that part of that decision. Huh. Okay. Well, so now fast forward to this particular case, and the Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts is the one who wrote for the majority in the 5-4 decision. And what was the consensus discussed in that majority opinion? Yeah, so they then take those those cases up, uh, Zellman and Trin- especially Trinity Lutheran, mm-hmm. and then apply them to this situation where because of the Montana Supreme Court's ruling, you have a state that says we can give uh, money to private schools, but only to, sec- uh, to secular, non-religious mm-hmm. private schools. Mm-hmm. So is that a distinction b- based on religious use or religious status under Trinity Lutheran, or does it matter? And then there was another issue that, that um, we talk about briefly, which is the impact of this case called Block versus Davy hmm. from 2004. That was about excluding funds going to people going into the, uh, into the ministry. Hmm. Um, so on the religious use thing, what the court said was, this is an exclusion based on religious status. Uh, the Blaine Amendment's pretty sweeping. Uh, it applies to you know anything connect, any kind of school connected to a church, uh, and so it doesn't turn on you know what kind of doctrine that uh, is being taught in the school, whether 
Um, uh, there, the the students are, are learning, you know, different kind uh, uh, the intensities you might mm-hmm. say of the the religion mm-hmm. that they're learning. Um, it just is whether it's connected to a church, hmm. and so it's because it's uh, um, a discrimination based on religious. Uh, status mm-hmm. it's unconstitutional right. now that that may sound like well there there could be opportunities uh, for you know religious discrimination in the future in school choice programs because you base it on religious status but it's uh, a religious use um, but I think that you'd have to be a really creative legislator to to try and do that so so basically the exclusion based on Blaine amendments has been under this court's ruling has been on religious uh, status uh, in the past, and so it, it effectively means Blaine amendments can't be used for uh, to prevent a, a, a traditional school choice pr- program. Which is so huge. It's huge, very big. <laughs> it is yeah, I mean, so we'll huge. How, how big that is in a minute, but it, it, it's very big. Yeah. On the um, the other the other part of this was there is this case from 2004, Locke versus Davy, where the state of Washington had a program. That allowed for, and, and, and forgive me, I can't remember the, the details, but basically allowed for money to go to someone attending a post-secondary study at university, uh, but not if they were, if it was to train as for the clergy, oh. um, huh. to be a minister, oh you know, to, to be a rabbi or, or, what, or what have you. Um, <laughs> you and can't make this stuff the, up sometimes. <laughs> So, so what the what the court said is that uh, it it didn't overturn that case. It said that that was a very narrow exception. Uh, yeah. That doesn't apply here. That was for this um, uh, this type of of training that actually has historically, uh, going back to the founding period, has been viewed as as just different under um, uh, by by the states that you could you could set ministers kind of in a different box. Hmm. than uh, everyone else, including other others who are uh, religious in, in different hmm. ways. And so um, that's a very narrow uh, exception that uh, was okay under Locke, but we're not going to, to say that applies to you know any type of school that mm-hmm. happens to be with a religious-affiliated uh, organization. And so um, Locke versus Davy is still good law, but it's really cabin to um, to its facts that yes. it's someone actually training for for the clergy. Okay. Um, and so with uh, with with those two, with the religious use, religious status uh, analysis, and this exclusion of, of Locke versus Daly, uh, Davy, they went. They said, "Well, this is discrimination, mm-hmm. uh, and it's only okay uh, if you have that kind of discrimination. It's only okay if you have an incredibly important interest." Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called strict scrutiny, mm-hmm. and that just didn't apply uh, in this case. That the the uh, the state's you know argument is that well we don't want to have the state um, entangle itself too much with religion, partly to because we want to protect the 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 religious people from the state right. entanglement, right. kind of an establishment clause mm-hmm. argument. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. said, look, that that doesn't overwhelm uh, overcome. The free exercise protections, yep, yep. and so it's That's unconstitutional. Great. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you are listening to Education Nation here on AM twelve eighty, The Patriot. Where tonight our guest is Anthony Sanders. He's a senior attorney and the current director of the Center for Judicial Engagement. Discussing with us tonight the Supreme Court's ruling that the Montana Blaine amendments are unconstitutional, and that will hopefully set a domino effect across the country as families now seek to exercise their 
First Amendment rights mm-hmm. and seeking out the education of their choice through private religious schools or just private schools in general. Well, of course, the Trump administration has been uh, adding uh, comments uh, to this court ruling that came in June, Anthony. In fact, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos said that the decision represents a turning point in the sad and static history of American education, and she's calling on the states to seize the extraordinary opportunity to expand education opportunities. With this ruling, what might the legislative process in individual states look like moving forward and trying to establish public funding for scholarships to private religious schools? Well, what it does is it takes away the biggest barrier there was to school choice uh, in many states, mm-hmm. which was that they were afraid that the state uh, constitution did not allow for school choice programs that included religious schools, which, of course, is is the uh, majority, large majority of private schools that, that are out there. The rule, it's important to remember, though, the ruling itself doesn't change a lot immediately. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for two different reasons. One is there aren't that many programs already that only included private secular schools. There's a few. Uh, there's, there's one in uh, Maine and one in Vermont. The one in Maine, actually, IJ, the Institute of Justice, is currently challenging in the federal courts of appeals. And so we feel pretty good about that, that case now with, with Espinoza. But, mm-hmm. excuse me, but uh, otherwise, there, there aren't a lot of programs like that. Also, a lot of, so 37 states have these provisions we call Blaine Amendments, but a lot of them have already been interpreted to uh, not prevent school choice programs. And so in a lot of states, including uh, arguably Minnesota, it was a little unclear mm-hmm. in Minnesota, you could already enact, say, a M- Milwaukee uh, voucher program like they have in Wisconsin uh, or the Cleveland one I, I talked about earlier. You could already have that even with a, a Blaine Amendment because the Blaine Amendment was read to not apply to a parent-driven school choice program. Hmm. Okay. Um, and in some states also, they said, well, you can't have it with a, a voucher program, but you could have it with a tax credit program, mm-hmm. like, um, like in, in um, Montana. So some of those states already have uh, school choice. Some don't, and they could have enacted it uh, in any case. But there are a, a number of states, I'd say approximately about 15, where this does really change things because mm-hmm. that was the, the the Blaine Amendment had been interpreted that way in the past to not allow for something akin to a, a private school choice program uh, that's parent driven, and so those now uh, have that opportunity to uh, to enact that that type of program. There mm-hmm. are a couple states with a Blaine Amendment where the Blaine Amendment is so bad mm-hmm. that. Uh, that this uh, ruling doesn't affect them. The the most important one is Michigan. Um, And uh, we call it a Blaine Amendment, but uh, it's really much more than than religious discrimination. It it just says you you can't have any shape, any form, any tax credit, any voucher going to a private school. And so Michigan would need to to have some other – a way of overcoming that. Uh, Massachusetts, as its in, as its clause has been written, mm-hmm. uh, or has been interpreted, also has a, a similar problem. So okay. those states are, are still out of luck. You could still make the argument, as Justice Alito did in his concurrence mm-hmm. in Espinoza, that Blaine amendments are just kind of um, void from the beginning because of the the, the anti-Catholicism right. 
that is inherent in in them, Mm -hmm. um, that perhaps could still be an argument Mm -hmm. uh, that that could be made. But um, in realistically, in the short term, both of those states, it doesn't change much. But there are a number of states where it does change. And so now the question is, are the legislatures in those states, or if, if mm-hmm. they have, can do it at the local level, the school district or city, um, able to enact school choice programs that then would not have this argument against them uh, that could be brought in court? There may be other arguments, other mm-hmm. provisions of the state constitutions that don't have to do with, with religion that could be made, but this has been the big one that's mm-hmm. been preventing. Mm-hmm. And when we think about <clears throat> what other hurdles might still exist for individual states in establishing scholarships for religious schools, really it comes down, I'm guessing, then to just having the wherewithal to have some legislators that are willing to put forth legislation in favor of these types of tax credit funding. Um, is that right, or are there other hurdles that I'm not thinking of? There, there are other hurdles, but the big hurdle in getting a, a school choice program enacted yeah, isn't, isn't a constitutional hurdle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a, a hurdle of the legislative process That's and, and to getting yeah. that coalition to, mm-hmm. to recognize that uh, school choice is, is something that's good for everyone, yeah. Uh, yeah. except arguably for the teachers union. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they should, uh, legislators and, and parents and um, those who, who want uh, more choice in education should come together to, to push uh, for these programs. Mm-hmm. You know, one concern always, too, is that, you know, when a, a policy ends up in the wrong hands of government, you know, um, Adam Unikowski, he argued for the Montana Department of Revenue. He said back in January that the state's constitution no aid clause actually protects religious freedom from governmental interference. And of course, the teachers unions, they they chimed in. Randy Weingarten, who's the president of the American Federation of Teachers, she called the ruling a, a seismic shock that threatens both public education and religious liberty. You had the opportunity to listen to the arguments in the case. If you could just briefly provide context to the assertion that's put forth by Mr. Unikowski, and is there a legitimate concern that this ruling could lead to religious schools at some point having to face pressure to compromise when receiving front. Well, I know that the schools themselves aren't receiving the mm-hmm. funds from the government, but given that they'll be coming from people, could there ever be a chance where they would be in a position being pressured to compromise? Yes, and this is a, a principled uh, objection to, to school choice programs that we, we actually hear from uh, from libertarians uh, such as ourselves. Yes. We're a libertarian mm-hmm. organization, and sometimes uh, those consider themselves more libertarian than us, will say, well, you're, you're asking for government dollars going to private groups, and that's just going to inevitably mean that they're going to be dominated by the, the government's uh, wishes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's, also the, there's also the objection that, you know, to protect uh, one of the reasons for the Establishment Clause in the first place is to protect religions from the government, because once the government becomes entangled with religious groups, it's going to try to control those religious groups, and you never know who's going to be in charge of the government in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Those are both as I said, principled objections. Uh, we don't agree with them. Uh, uh, the, the religious one we've, we've, we've already uh, talked about to, to some extent because, um, you know, at the end of the day, there still is uh, an establishment clause and state establishment right. clauses that protect for, uh, for you, know, you know, say the government running a church mm-hmm. or the, or the mm-hmm. government putting lots of strings on, on those funds. For, from the mm-hmm. school, school choice programs, 
Um, we always advocate at IJ that you should you should have a school choice program, but then you should leave it up to the parents and the schools to set their own rules. Right, because right. Yep. there is that danger okay. about creeping, um, you know, yep. government authority and regulation over the schools when um, when it has uh, those, those yep. types. Of, yep. of programs. Yep. But, I got to cut um, you off, no. Anthony. I'm so sorry, but we are literally down to about 15 seconds here of our show. No problem. Um, your, information, your information has been so helpful, and what a wonderful win we are celebrating with you. Thank you for all your hard work on behalf of religious freedom in America. And thank you to Mark, and thank you to our listeners. Good night.